What I'm going to say next is probably going to sound a little insulting, but I think this, I think 2011 adaptation is the perfect baby's first Jane Eyre. Well, Lillian, we're back at it again, uh, revisiting some of our original adaptations, now with clearer minds, broader understandings of the story as a whole. It's 2011, it feels like, because we just watched that movie. How are you feeling? I'm feeling good. I'm feeling the time traveling of watching a movie from 2011 that we watched a year ago to record an episode. We're in November of 2022. You, our lovely listeners, are in January of 2023. I also want to just throw out there to add even more complication to this. As soon as I said 2011, I then realized I was like, oh yeah, Lillian and I were friends in 2011. We were juniors in high school. Uh And I'm like, oh my God, what if we like had a time machine and we wasted that amazing opportunity just by going back to 2011 (laughs) to see this in theaters? (laughs) like hey little yous from the past i mean uses um we're going we're taking you to a movie it's called jane Eyre, and we'd be like why what is this and we're like shut up and watch it well i can tell you for a fact that i would not have gone because i had seen the trailer and as we've established before spooky trailer for what is admittedly a relatively spooky adaption of jane Eyre. true still But I like that take about it. Um, But before we dive into some thoughts Mm -hmm. about this revisit, I think one thing that's important to start off the bat, because a while ago, for your guys' time, we did a rewatch of our original adaptation, the 80s uh, miniseries with Timothy Dalton and Zayla Clark. And we talked about how in these rewatches, one of our goals is to do sort of more comprehensive comparison Mm -hmm. now that we have the source material, um, comparing it to other texts and things. But the way that I want to kind of start this conversation today Lillian, and mm-hmm. the way I think we should start most of our um, rewatches Ooh. is what did you get from this rewatch that you missed the first time that you saw it? A few different things. I'm imagining you have an answer for this question as well. You go first. Okay. I, I haven't written anything down, but I'm going to wing it. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the way we play this, baby. Um, so the first thing is when I, as anybody who listens to the show knows, when we watch adaptions, I take copious notes. Like that's the way that I pay attention to all the details. The biggest difference in how I've been approaching these rewatches is I am intentionally not taking notes and just letting the things that stand out to me stand out. So there's a few different things. I'm sure we'll get into some of them, but I think overarching, the biggest thing that I noticed, given the fact that we've mostly read the book, like that's the biggest difference, Mm -hmm. is how often they say things that capture the sentiment Mm -hmm. of something in the book but are not the exact words from the book, but are very close. And I think it's something I've been critical of in the past, but particularly like there's some quotes from like the musicals and stuff where they say like close to the same thing, but it's not the same thing. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. I'm giggling a little bit because Piper just put on gloves and I watched her put on fingerless gloves while I was trying to say something. And it was the funniest thing that's happened to me in a while. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to distract you, but my hands are cold. Just your palms. Just, well, I don't have gloved gloves with me. I only have the fingerless ones for when I'm working. This is amazing. Go back to your very intelligent and well thought out response. Um, I just think that like, as I was watching it, so many moments stood out to me as like, there are certain lines for sure that they do like one-to-one, that's what's in the book. But I think there are other moments where in order to cut down the amount of dialogue they have to have, like, 
particularly the fireplace scene. Like they have Mm -hmm. one fireplace scene where Jane and Rochester are talking and they're trying to capture a lot of their relationship in that conversation. I think they do a decent job of it, but they adjust a lot of the language to capture the same thing, but shorter and faster and right to the heart of it and capture Mm -hmm. the, the kind of feeling of their relationship rather than the words that are in the book. Yeah. And I think that's something that, you know, any adaptation has to make choices about what you're going to cut out of a very long novel when trying Mm -hmm. to make it into a two hour film. But this was especially apparent apparent to me as well, how much stuff they opted not to include in this version. Mm -hmm. Uh, Especially it's on my mind since before we jumped into this call, Lillian sent me a series of deleted scenes that she found on YouTube and there are some moments there where I'm like, oh, that's kind of a crucial p- plot point. I wonder why they filmed it and then just didn't put it in. There's, I have a note, I don't think I'm ready to talk about it just yet, mm. but one of my biggest critiques of this movie, I think, is the fact that they deliberately removed certain items to appease the audience. And so that's mm. something that I definitely want to talk about later on. And we can talk about it now if you want to, but it no, seemed like I, more. I, I really want to talk about that in depth, but there's something I want to note on the kind of why did they pick to cut out certain moments? Because I think particularly watching those deleted scenes, some of them are like 30 seconds. Yeah. And I'm sure. like, what a wild choice to make. And then <laughs> one in particular that really stood out to me was they referred to it as the badminton scene, but it's really the scene where Rochester explains how who Adele is and her mother and goes into all of that stuff. And I found that particularly interesting for, I'm imagining that might've been one of the ones you were referring to because it is this critical moment between them. Yeah. And it, and I was sort of like, well, that's like one of the truest to the book moments. Mm-hmm. Why would you cut that out? And it made me do a Lillian crazy, <laughs> which is, Look up the runtime for this movie. This movie is exactly two hours. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I asked myself a little question, which is, I wonder how that stacks up to all of our other adaptions. Um, <laughs> Welcome so, to our segment, Lillian Be Crazy. <laughs> Lillian, Lillian updated the Jane Eyre adaption spreadsheet. So there's nice. a new column in our spreadsheet that you may notice next time you go in, Piper. That's runtime. We've already talked about our longest adaption by far was Uh the web series they did that 101 episodes with a total runtime of 491 minutes Mm -hmm. um the next three are the mini series um all hanging around just over four hours um the the 2006 and the 93 are almost exactly two hours the 73 is slightly longer um the play the national theater play um is just about two and a half hours. Um, Sing Dill is also just about two and a half hours. Most of the movies are pretty short. Mm-hmm. Most of the movies are well under two hours. So of the movies, this is our longest movie, the hmm. 2011. Okay. And I also think of the movies, they keep the most beats in mm-hmm. from the book. Because yeah. she goes, like, some of the common things get that get completely cut out is like, big chunks of her childhood. Sometimes they completely cut out Helen. They didn't have a Miss Temple in this, Mm -hmm. um, but they often, sometimes they'll just completely cut out her going back to visit her aunt. Mm -hmm. Often they cut out her actually going and doing any of the Sinjin stuff. That's something the TV movies do a lot. Mm -hmm. I thought it was, I thought they did a really good job of keeping in 
most of those like crit, like if we were going to do an outline of Jane Eyre and say, these are the critical beats to fill in Mm -hmm. for the structure of Jane Eyre. I think they got most of them. And I would say like that scene with Celine where they talk about Celine is one of the biggest things they don't include. And it makes sense to me why they would cut that. The other beats for the most part felt like ones where I'm like, you're making a new point. Mm-hmm. Right, exactly. <laughs> so I think it was a very deliberate uh, decision. But it's funny, like when I saw that scene where he's describing, um, you know, her uh, Adele's mother's like history and everything, mm-hmm. it then it didn't occur to me until seeing that deleted scene. I'm like, oh, that's right. And if you're just watching like the theatrical cut, theatrical cut of this movie, you never know what Adele's background is. And so you're just left to assume that perhaps she's just some Ill- illegitimate child or maybe, yeah, he's, she's just literally a ward because sometimes people have that back then. And so it's funny. I think because I'm used to or I'm so saturated with like all these different adaptations. Mm-hmm. If I don't see that scene, I think my brain just says, oh, you must have like left the room while that scene happened. Like it probably was in the movie, but you just didn't see it. And I'm like, no, that's right. It wasn't even in there. That's weird. Well, and I think they do have a conversation that is in the movie where Miss Fairfax says, I don't like Rochester just dropped her here. I have like no idea who mm-hmm. this, like who she is. And she says her mother dies and then doesn't go into who her father is. Mm-hmm. So I think if you were watching it, you would just make the base. You would be one of two camps. You either know Jane Eyre really well, so you know the answer to that question, or yeah. you go, "Oh, well, we know her mother was a dancer, yeah, and she <laughs> lives here now." So, and he make he does make the remark in this version about when she wears the little dress, and he's and he's like, "Yeah, just like how your mom like charmed money out of my pockets and everything." So, yeah, mm-hmm. there's a lot of stuff that you could insinuate, um, but yeah, interesting to see that. Yeah, also. Of the uh, deleted scenes that we watched, did you, I mean, it was very obvious later in this scene, the the deleted scene where Jane is running away, I think it's labeled mm-hmm. like um, Rochester begs Jane not to leave or whatever. Yeah. Did you notice that like one of the first shots in that deleted scene, um, we see Helen sitting in the chair through the reflection of the mirror? So spooky. I was like, oh, dude, so I really liked the spooky tone this took. I wish they had kept that in. I want more ghost Helen just kind of like lingering around as kind of a, a way visually to tell us that she is on like Jane's mind or she's thinking of this kind of pious person this inspiration mm-hmm. for her to like be a good human being quote unquote and not stay with this man um but that that was so cool and I'm like oh that shot alone you have to keep in the film so shame on them for taking that out well I think that was interesting I I think that that like the other things that they cut were departures from the book more significantly than they did any other like Helen does not literally haunt Jane. In no, the book. but it's a really cool and visual interpretation. For sure. It's something that I crave out of more adaptations. I'm like, I want people to take creative liberties. How mm-hmm. do you interpret this story? And that was a great way to interpret it. Well, and I think it's interesting and I liked being able to see it as a deleted scene, but I think I would have been frustrated about it drawing attention away from Mia's incredible performance being Jane who's upset leaving Rochester. Like I think she does such a great job of it's so, so we literally just rewatched the 83. I know you guys are months in the future. So it's been a long time (laughs) since you've listened to us talk about that, but we, this poor Clark, we were so mean to her. Um, You were. Because she did, I was, I was so mean to her. Because she did such a bad job relative to like this, this couple is what I was lacking in the 83. 
They have so much chemistry. Mia is just like, she plays that internal world so well. She meets him where he is, but she also is very clearly really young, which is a very hard balance to strike Yeah, of like being strong, having these clear ideas, clearly have it like being this very like vulnerable feminine strength Mm -hmm. that we talk about. Yeah. But also continuing to have that, those edges of, kind of innocence and naive there as well mm-hmm. in a way that is like that three-dimensional person that Jane is. And so yeah. I really, really loved that. For sure. No, it was um, it was her performance. It was good to see it again. I think I was a little more appreciative of it this time um, than I was the first time that I watched it. Fast, both of them. I like they're good actors. They're good performances. They're still the two of them easily not close to my favorites though. Interesting. Yeah. Who would you put in your favorites over these two? Um, obviously, Timmy D. Um, I think I can confidently say that Ruth Wilson is probably my favorite Jane of all mm. time, which actually this leads well into my next kind of topic of discussion. Mm. Um, and I'm going to skew this up and then I almost want to turn it into like a little game of casting um, for us to play. But so um, on this note, one of my next things that I've written down is this version, though, Jane and Rochester's performances are not in my top grouping. Um, mm-hmm. The actors, the supporting actors are some of my all-time faves yeah. of any portrayals of the side characters. Mm-hmm. So if I were to do a fan casting using only performers who have actually been in a production of oh, Jane no. Eyre, I would easily cast Judy Dench as Mrs. Fairfax, Sally Hawkins is my Mrs. Reed, and Jamie Bell is my Sinjin. I also really like this Adele, but I have to like study other Adele's closer. But I would mm. easily have those three. Ruth Wilson would be my Jane, and Dalton would be my uh, Rochester. And maybe this is too much to put on you right now, but if you're willing to try, I would love to know what if you have some responses. So I think, first of all, I totally agree with you. Jamie Bell did such a great job as Sinjin. Like, I think... We've watched so many Sinjins who miss that careful balance of he's like, they get either they like lean into creepy obsession or they're just kind of like tall and stoic where like, I think there's an underlying like boiling emotion Mm -hmm. behind a very stoic front that Jamie Bell plays that is so well done. Yes. And it gives Sinjin the depth that that character has in the book. I hated him, but Mm -hmm. because he was doing Sinjin well, and we all know that I hate a lot of people in this book. I don't know that I hate anyone more than Sinjin. Oh, for sure. Obviously. Um, No, I agree. But I'm a huge Jamie Bell fan. I think he's a very talented Mm -hmm. actor. And yes, I, I feel like so many other Sinjins that we've seen is mostly just like a a very tall guy just kind of standing rigidly and saying his lines and being like I don't know distant he you're right he he added so much more to this performance than others we've seen so 10 out of 10 would cast Jamie Bell again as Sinjin yeah I think I so I think one of the things, and this is what we talked about with in the 83 so much, is how ill-balanced Clark mm-hmm. and Dalton are, mm-hmm. where I think that Mia and Fassbender yeah. <laughs> are so... Mia and Michael, <laughs> Mia Clark and, Michael. and Dalton. <laughs> so cute. <laughs> um, but they, they're so well-balanced, mm-hmm. where like I almost like your idea of casting 
at the same age as they were when they played the characters. Right. So no, impossible. they're not coming in now. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but Ruth Wilson and Dalton, I think they would have that balance mm-hmm. that we're missing in that. But I, I don't know that I would put anyone else with Fassbender and Mia mm-hmm. because, and I keep saying Mia, I know most of them, I do last names. <laughs> I can't pronounce her last name. If somebody wants to send us a voice recording of how we're supposed to pronounce her last name, that would be really helpful. <laughs> you can also probably like find a YouTube video of it. <laughs> that, would, that would require me doing more Googling than I've done. <laughs> Which, by the way, I did re-listen to our 2011 episode, which was our third episode ever of the podcast. Mm-hmm. I was so pleasantly surprised. <laughs> I know. Like, your change from what I showed you to what that came next was drastic. I, was like, I listened okay. to it today, too. <laughs> it turns out this is actually a good movie and maybe a good story. And maybe they haven't made a terrible mistake. So you're um, saying that you don't want any other supporting cast people alongside no. um, Mia and Fassbender apart from the people who are already there? I'm saying in your dream casting, you can put any Rochester and Jane together as your choice, and you're going to stick with Fassbender and know. Mia as the number two, as the two top ones? I don't know. So that's the thing, is I think Mia's my top Jane. Okay. I don't think Fassbender's my top Rochester, mm-hmm. but he's certainly up there. But I don't know that I would put Mia up against anyone else because I think the exact balance of how okay. they play, like, I think they're the best pair. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Like, I think Ruth and Toby might have it as well. And I am close friends with them. So that's why I use their first names. <laughs> um, but I, I'm genuinely excited. The 2006 are next, next rewatch, a long time away for Piper and I, but sooner for you guys, we'll be doing that, I believe, February or March. I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> Sometime. So in the future. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm sincerely excited to see that because it has been a really long time since I watched that. Um, but I do think like, I think they're the best balance because I think about like an Orson Welles and a Joan Fontaine. Like I think Orson Welles does a little bit of what Dalton does where he mm-hmm. overpowers his Jane in a way that makes it his story, not Jane's. Yeah. Um, where I think these two are perfectly balanced yeah. where Rochester has enough personality that he is, you see that there's kind of like different changeable ways where he doesn't feel fully buck wild the mm-hmm. way that like a Syrian Hines does. Poor Syrian Hines. Stop being our whipping boy, but whatever. <laughs> Someone's um, got to be the doormat. It's him. You know? <laughs> um, and But I think that he's he's got a bigger performance than a Michael Jason, but a smaller performance than a Timothy Dalton. Mm-hmm. And I think that the balance stacked up against like the way that he has those softer, vulnerable moments I love his stay speech. I think their proposal scene is perfect. Yes, it is a very good proposal scene. Mia's uh, reaction there is one of the best by far. No, no doubt. And his turn is so good because he he thinks there that like he thinks the number of times that Michael Fassbender thinks that she knows that like the after the Mason leaving when they're having that conversation and he's sitting on the stairs and he goes, who do you think I'm talking about? Yes. Yes. That really stood out to me too. Since like having like read that scene in the book, it's like, okay, they did that very well. Cause it's very mm-hmm. clear to me in the book that he's like, like looking at Jane and being like, and my future wife will be. And she's like, Blanche Ingram. He's like, no, damn it. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> So I think he's like, he's, she's been gone. It's a thing we talked about in the book scenes where it's like, 
he she comes back from being at her aunt's house. He has been planning their wedding while she's gone. He fully deluded himself and forgot that he didn't ask her to marry him. So cute. And it's like, my plan's going great. I got the carriage. Now we're doing like a fun little like jokey joke. And we all know he's taking it too far and he's making Jane sad, Mm -hmm. but he doesn't know that. And that, and Fassbender plays that so well. Cause he's Mm -hmm. like, what do you think Jane? I'm getting married. What do you think about that? Oh, you think you want to, you are going to have to get a new situation. Things are going to be different soon. And like, (laughs) there's going to be a lot more kissing for you and me. I really hope I have an offer for you that I really hope you accept. And he's like looking at her and she's just like about to cry. And as soon as he sees how upset she is, he's like, no, because I love you. Well, I love too that they do. um, Yeah, they have the scene where he's like talking to, I assume, like either um, like a worker of his or like a a tenant or something. Mm -hmm. And she comes out to him in the courtyard and she talks about how um, uh, his wedding plans are coming together and she's going to have to leave. And then she Mm -hmm. walks away and he like runs after her down the road to be like, he's like, oh, wait a second. You think that it's not you I'm marrying? Hang on. And like runs after her to like go and like get the explanation out of the way. So that was very cute. And it's this layer of like, oh, she's mad. This is going to be so much fun for both of us. We're both having a great time. (laughs) Yes. No, all of that was very fun. I think, yes, the scene where she returns and he's up on the little bridge, that I think is also the closest version to how Mm -hmm. I pictured that scene in the book is kind of, they're both rather light and jovial. Like she's very happy to be home. I think she does it very well where she stops in the bridge, turns around and she's very smiley. And she's like, thank you for like, the time I've had here. It's so great to be back and blah, blah, blah. And he's all very happy too and not all sulking and mad. And so I think it, that scene is great. And in the book, probably that's one of my all-time favorite scenes mm-hmm. is just that joy that I feel that like comes from the two of them there. So I thought this movie did that very, very well. Yeah. And I think they there's so many beats like that. Like, But I think for a, like literally thinking about the fact that this is half of the length of all the miniseries. Mm-hmm. And I think it's st- where some of the movies, like you can't even compare them to the, mo- like to the miniseries in any sort of direct way, mm-hmm. because it's like, you can't possibly do that. This is the, this, if the other thing that I was thinking a lot while I was watching this is like, if you have a friend or a relative that you really want to get into Jane Eyre and you know they're not going to read a book right off the bat, and you know that they're not going to sit down for four hours, Mm -hmm. this is the movie to have them watch. Yeah. Because I think it does a really good job of you don't have to have the context. Mm -hmm. Because some of the movies, you have to have the context or it's wild. Yeah. But you still get that depth of emotion. You get the mixed feelings in that. You get allusions to those larger themes that we talk about with Jane Eyre. And I think that's... It's just really good. What I'm going to say next is probably going to sound a little insulting, but I think this, I think 2011 adaptation is the perfect baby's first Jane Eyre Um, because you're right. It, for a modern audience, it gives you everything that you need. It's very approachable, but also I, one of my big things that I'm ready to talk about, if you want to, is the, the stuff that they've cut, I think removes, it's like taking the teeth away from a tiger Mm. and so now it's like kind of a sad animal with no bite which is like it's they're kind of focusing on the romance i think they've written it their their adaptation is made i think more so that you can get behind it for like a modern audience of being like whoa this guy did some shit and you really have to like be able to like forgive him so yeah okay what is the teeth of jane Eyre that they've removed for this poor zoo animal rochester 
Okay, so here's my main note. We talked about in our mm-hmm. first watch of 2011 that they've removed sort of the red herring of Grace Poole as mm-hmm. sort of this person that um, Jane and more so Rochester can kind of throw these strange happenings upon to be like, don't worry about it. It's just that lady. So when we don't have Grace, I mean, she is briefly in it. He says her name when they're all going upstairs. Mm-hmm. But when we don't have Grace, so one, taking away the initial kind of intrigue in that way, whatever. But I think one of the crucial things about having that, that kind of red herring is the part about the story that you and I, we don't like, but I think mm. is important, is once they're engaged and Bertha comes into her room, which is a scene we don't have in this movie, mm-hmm. um, and comes into the room, tears the thing, and she confronts Rochester. That is his last chance to be honest. And he lies to her face and he gaslights her and he does that thing where he's like a year and a day after we're married, I'll tell you. None mm-hmm. of that is in this. And so I think that's one of the elements that makes the moral uh, discussion of Rochester like all the more complex and compelling because mm-hmm. it is obviously the situation of, oh, here's a guy who's trying to commit bigamy and has been keeping his wife a secret in the attic. But then if you also add another layer to it that he's like, he's been blatantly lying and deceiving you and even did so to your face, that's like a whole nother level. So mm-hmm. I understand that for, like we said, a two hour movie, you have so much to put into it. I get why they took that out. But I think without it, it really tames down some of the like, holy shitness. That's just kind of mm-hmm. my thought. Yeah. And as you're saying that, I do think... Because I, I was thinking about it and I'm like, but they do such a good job of making this creepy. And it's like, eh, kind of. They do a good job of, of getting the stuff that I like about Jane Eyre, right? Like, I mm-hmm. think what you're saying is like, baby's first. <laughs> like, well, and I do. Yeah. And I think, I think that is, that would be a scene that I think with that, we would get enough of, of Bertha. And even just having like, like I was thinking about the after the fire scene. Mm-hmm. Which I have a a thing that I want to talk about with that and with the um, meeting in the woods. Uh, But I think that's a scene where you're you're totally right. Like not having Grace Poole means that, yes, that scene gets very sexy Mm -hmm. in a way that I enjoyed. Right. Yes. No. (laughs) But (laughs) it doesn't have, she doesn't ask, she she asks what happened and he says he's going to handle it. And she sort of goes, what are you talking, like, what do you mean you're going to handle it? And she's clearly upset that he's not giving her more information, Mm -hmm. but he doesn't lie to her. Mm Mm-hmm. And he needs to lie to her. Right. He doesn't come back with the whole thing. It's like, did you hear anything? Did you see anything? He simply comes back and he's like, don't tell anyone about this. You should leave. Mm-hmm. But first we should get real close and almost kiss and then maybe so, not. And Which like, it's sexy. We love it, of course. But mm-hmm. yeah, it's like you take that away and it almost makes me think I'm like, I feel like Jane should be asking more questions, right? Jane is an intelligent, inquisitive person. Why does mm-hmm. she just simply like go to almost kiss her boss and then leave without like asking for more info. Well, and I think I, I, I don't necessarily question that as much. I think you're, you're right. And I think she questions it sort of just enough. And mm-hmm. she clearly is like somewhat upset. And then she gets distracted by how hot her boss is. And the fact that she just saw him without pants on, which is, <laughs> I know I said, I didn't take notes. That's one of three things I wrote down to remember to talk about is you're that like, oh, I did not naked. catch that he wasn't wearing <laughs> pants in the first one. <laughs> I mentioned it in the podcast. I was like, we see his side thigh. He's definitely just like wiener out under that shirt. <laughs> um, so I, I think I get that. And I also think, 
Yeah, I think you're right. I think we don't get enough Bertha pre-reveal. Right. Um, and so then it makes more sense that she only really questions it in this one moment. And then it makes sense that he brought all these guests back so she doesn't have a chance to talk to him about it. And then she leaves and then immediately they're getting married. Yeah. So I think the the obviously the other moment is she doesn't ask question, follow-up questions about who attacked right. um, Mason. Yeah. yeah. Which that is a moment where... I mean, in the book, I still feel like, Jane, what the fuck are you doing? But right. she has a narrative in her head mm-hmm. because of the fire. She thinks the fire is Grace Poole. So she thinks the attack is Grace Poole. And she's mm-hmm. assuming Rochester's handling it. Right. Like that's what, so this Jane doesn't even have a narrative in her head. So the closest we get to it is the fact that um, in replace of Grace Poole, and I kind of mentioned this in our first episode about Mm -hmm. this, instead we have these kind of monster stories. So Mm -hmm. when she's reading to Adele about the guy trash, um, Mm -hmm. uh, then Adele tells that her like caregiver French uh, maid nanny thing, um, her au pair. (laughs) She's like, yeah, she's like, oh, like she's told me about um, this woman who walks the halls at night. She can fade through the walls. She's like, she like bites people and stuff. And so then, yeah, when it's kind of more of like, is there a vampire in the house? Uh Like, but then that's, I don't know. I wonder, I would be so curious to talk to an audience who doesn't know anything about Jane Eyre to Mm -hmm. see 2011 and to be like, what were you thinking up until they revealed? Did you think there was a monster or was it just like weird happenings and you didn't look too far into it because these two are hot and you just want to see them kiss? Like, what's the answer here? I definitely fall into the latter category and I do know the story. (laughs) (laughs) Well, easy peasy. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I think that is, that's an interesting criticism because I was having... I, and I appreciate it as well because I was having a moment of like, this is perfect. I love this movie so much. Because it's not only is it Baby's first Jane Eyre, but it's also um, what if they made a Jane Eyre that was just for Lillian and they started with making it too spooky. And this feels a little bit like they released a trailer and people were like, I don't want to see that because it looks fucking scary. And that's how I felt watching it. And then they were like, okay, well, let's take the teeth out then. (laughs) And so I would, I think that's so interesting that you say that because it, it points out it's, it's probably like the biggest flaw of this. I would say another, another flaw because I have to be critical, even though it didn't hit me in quite the same way. Mm -hmm. Um, is those same key moments that we talk about where Jane is saving Rochester. Yes. And it matters that the dynamic in those scenes is that Jane is saving Rochester. Mm-hmm. Both in the riding in the wood scene and in the fire scene, mm-hmm. he's still kind of in charge in those moments. I thought this one, though, if we're comparing it to our most recent rewatch um, mm-hmm. with Dalton, for example, you made a great point there where she doesn't kind of be the one to offer mm-hmm. the assistance again and again. And he kind of just like calls her over and then like walks on her. With this one, I felt at least there was a bit more of that mm-hmm. kind of Jane being like she's more insistent um, of the whole like, no, I can't leave you. I'm going to help you out. And I like that they did the whole, you know bring my horse to me, like bring, and then it's like, oh, bring the Mohammed to the mountain or whatever, (laughs) kind Mm -hmm. of a a deal. So yeah, there could have been a bit more agency there, but I thought that was pretty good. I think they did. I think they did a pretty good job there. I just think that like, if I'm going to be fair in my criticisms of it, I think that it's a little too fast bender focused in that moment. Mm -hmm. I don't, I think she would, she's a bit more insistent than that. I think they do a great job of balancing that moment of like, 
she tries to get the horse and the horse kind of spooks her. And so she, she's he's like, okay, well, I guess like come over here then. Like, so I think that one's okay. But I think that the fire scene in particular, which genuinely have not seen a fire scene where Jane just puts the fire out. And yeah. I know that logistically it's hard, but <laughs> try harder, yes. guys. Right. Literally, it is canon that he does not get out of the bed until the flames are extinguished. So come on, guys. He wakes up soaking wet in his bed and thinks Jane is fucking nuts. <laughs> um, I want to point out, kind of similar to what you just said um, about how, like, Fassbender is kind of, you know, being the hero. Mm-hmm. Um, so when we posted our 83 rewatch uh, stuff on Facebook back Mm -hmm. um, when we did that. I don't know if you saw this yet, Lillian, but Charmaine, who comments a lot on our our things. Hi, Charmaine. Mm -hmm. Thanks for all your engagement. Um, She made a great comment about how it's a very common thing in like romantic fiction and movies and, and things like that to kind of be like, so the main audience is women. Sometimes even if the main character is a female, like they'll kind of put the emphasis on the hottie. Cause that's kind of what the audience, some of the audience is there for. Um, mm-hmm. So again, not always necessarily what these directors or d- the direction was intended, but um, possibly just something to keep in mind. It's like, okay, how are we going to get people to watch this really old spooky whack story? <laughs> um, Fassbender's hot right now. Let's make him the romantic lead and give him some heroic moments that might help bring people in yeah i think my argument i have a lot of arguments i i know they do that like i'm not disagreeing that they do that and i'm not saying Um, that was what their decision was for this it's just something i think it i think it for sure what that feels really true in the 83 Mm -hmm. um and my response to that is fuck that um There's a few different reasons for that, but I think it really kind of encapsulates my feelings about it. Because I do, I think that that, I'm I'm just going to comment on that to a greater extent. I think what that does that annoys me Mm -hmm. is implies that romances in general, because I think romance books are are also a piece that is primarily and stereotypically consumed by cis straight women which right. i think the cis and straight is also a criticism that i have about something that would make a lot of sense that 80 something made in 83 was really catering to that group of folks anyway totally. it impl- like the romance books have the best ones have great really in-depth female characters agreed the reason jane eyre is a fantastic book is mm-hmm. jane eyre yeah. like and i think so so i think that that's I don't disagree that that is a thing that people do. Um, and I think particularly male executives. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it makes it worse. Oh, totally. That, that might be what they're doing. <laughs> oh, no, totally. And again, I'm not implying that that was a decision that was actively mm-hmm. made in the making of the 2011 movie. Mm-hmm. It's just as we are making these comments about seeing Rochester famously like be kind of you know take the lead in those moments when jane is supposed to be the hero it's like well you know somebody thinks that people just want to look at the eye candy and not relate or be inspired by the female lead so yeah 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 and i think at the the rochester gets up and puts out the fire feels also to me like a thing that we've talked about a lot which is adaptions and conversation with each other which 
all the adaptions have decided that Rochester puts out the bed mm-hmm. because it would be wild for him to be in a bed that's on fire and not wake up and not wake up. <laughs> and if we're talking about the extremes of fires, mm-hmm. um, we have our TV movies. My favorite will continue to be the 57 in that way because there's just one little circle of fire. Yeah. <laughs> the, 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 I think the 52 and the 94 or the 49 we see Bertha light the fire, which is great, but it's mm-hmm. curtains and it's not in a bedroom. It's not the same. Or the 57, they like did a fire in a bedroom, but it's it's this big. It's just yes. like a little pie. <laughs> yeah, it's very cute. <laughs> very he fell good. asleep with his pie on fire. <laughs> this was a very intense fire. Yeah, it was good. <laughs> so if we watch Michael Fassbender, like that's the thing for me is like, if we watch Michael Fassbender, like kind of be unconscious from the smoke that he's been inhaling Mm -hmm. and he was gonna die without her coming in and putting out the fire. Mm -hmm. And if the tiny little pitcher of water that she threw threw on it did anything, even a little bit at all, like, I think that would be an amazing scene. And I'm so mad at all of the adaptions for never, maybe they did try and it went bad, you know, like, I don't know. I mean, also if you're actively actively burning down a set, you can only have so many takes, right? So yeah. maybe they tried it with Jane and it didn't quite come across. And they're like, you know what? Let's just get the two of you in there. We tried to be book accurate. Sorry, guys. Didn't happen. We're really Lillian and Piper, right? We are throwing you a bone right yeah. now, creators, giving you this, this chance. And and if you're out there and you're making a Jane Eyre movie, we will do a set visit and we yeah. will sit and watch and we will heckle until you kick us out. <laughs> yeah. You know, we, we can't wait to hear from you guys <laughs> with um. our invites. <laughs> That really pitched our value to have us on set, right? <laughs> um, but yeah, I think there's, I think it's, it's, it's a choice that everybody makes. I, one thing that I want to mention that we, we really nailed on our first re, our first watch, and in rewatching, I feel like stood out to me even more. Wow, Dame Judi Dench, yeah. you're incredible. That's why what a fantastic. She is in my fan casting recasting of yes. When we bring everyone back again, she is easily the Fairfax. And I think what I love so much about her is that where even though in the book and in a lot of versions of her, we always talk about how she's kind of this, like, in the most endearing way, a Mm -hmm. little clueless. Like, she just sort of she's like, oh, well, I I do what's expected of me and I don't ask further questions. She's just kind of grateful for what she has. And Mm -hmm. she's not nosy and doesn't pry and blah, 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 blah. I love that Judy Dench really brings, like we said, and I think this is what I like about so many of these actors' portrayals in this version, is like you mentioned before, there's a multi-layered um, understanding to their character and their personalities. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if that's a product of it being a more modern movie and maybe just different choices when it comes to acting in period dramas where Mm -hmm. I feel like they're treating it like acting in any movie where I feel like period dramas of older decades have sort of this kind of like the stage presence thing Mm -hmm. that we talk about a bit more kind of like oh well we're doing hoity-toity ratings and then eventually my darling I will smooch you and then it's like no it's like well we don't have to be that though like I can I can do my reading and without being hoity-toity but I'm still gonna smooch you but see the difference in my voice here <laughs> well, and I think I I think I agree. I think there's there's different things to that. And I also think one of the things that I thought about a lot, we got a comment um after our defense of Michael Jason, where one of our lovely listeners, I believe it was our raccoon listener, um, <laughs> commented that we would like the 73 more when we got older. 
because mm. we're far too young. And I'm like, okay, fair. <laughs> like, like, fair. <laughs> you're not a mature enough for the sophistication of this performance. I'll tell you what, how old I get, I'm still not going to like him. <laughs> you don't know that. Piper, we're going to have to come back in 20 years and do a single episode of this and be like, okay, 73. Do we like it now more? But what I, what I, what I was thinking about as I read that comment, which I think is true in the way we talk about the 2006 and the way we talk about the 2011 is I'm going to bet that person who ex- explicitly said they were older than us. Mm-hmm. That was maybe one of the first ones they watched where it was indicative of a style yeah. from when they were around an equivalent age to us when we watched the 2006 to 2011. Mm-hmm. So that style of acting, those things that stand out to us as we watch the 73 is like, look, <laughs> is this scene 1847 or is this 70, 1973? Um, but then actually, Lillian, now thinking about it, because you know the years better than I do, what mm. year is it with George C. Scott? George C. Scott is 1970. Okay. Because that one feels like it's on a totally like modern level of like quality of acting, I think. At least when I think yeah. on his performances, he doesn't seem so like, hoity toity, I'm on the BBC. He's, he's an American actor. So maybe that's part of it is like, um, we American like Americans studio, more and they're better. <laughs> American studio influences. I don't know. But, um, cause that's also like a, a more retro production, but he plays it in a very like subdued, complicated way. I don't know. So again, it's mm. not. We're not just saying that if it's an older version, it's not as good. That's not totally. the case at all. And I think I think George C. Scott and Susanna York is another one where, like, I think Susanna York's per, like performance is fantastic. Mm-hmm. I think she plays Jane really differently than Jane is in the books because she's almost thirty, and it would be fucking wild <laughs> to watch a thirty-year-old woman play the way that Mia plays in this. Like, right. it just would not work unless you looked and seemed really young mm-hmm. in a way that, like, she doesn't seem old, but she doesn't seem like a teenager. I kind of got um, those vibes too with our recent. What is it? The the stage production that we saw, mm. um, where again, that was a older actress playing the character. And we did well, you didn't see... like when she played fully a baby either. Well, that's <laughs> the thing, what I'm saying, we did see her do the kind of younger acting performance and mm-hmm. it just didn't feel right to me. And so, yeah. yeah, there's, you have to make those choices. Yeah. And I, so I, but I think what I was with those two, mm-hmm. I think George C. Scott and Susanna York meet each other yeah. and they have a great chemistry and they're very balanced. Yeah. And I think the same thing with, 73. Who's the Jane? <laughs> the one who's a opposite uh, Jason. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think that's another really balanced couple. I think Toby and Ruth, we talked about, they're really balanced couples. The So the 2011 and the 2006, I'm more curious about how those age mm-hmm. because I that's one of the things I'm looking forward to in rewatching the 2006 is I want to see how much of that is the same way that like Pride and Prejudice 2005 versus the 95. I like the 2005 better than Pride and Prejudice 1995. I haven't fully watched it yet. Mm -hmm. Find me in the comments on the internet or in a Kmart parking lot. (laughs) But I think that that hits at a particular era of entertainment. Yeah. That is for me, right? right? Like it's made like for me, it just defined part of what I think is good entertainment because the things that I watched at a very defining moment for me was that energy. Mm-hmm. And I get the same sort of impression of the this 2011 where I'm curious. This is why I'm like, I can't believe that a studio or the BBC has not made another 
Jane Eyre. It's been at least 10 years, if not 20. 2011, it's now 2022. So it's been 11 <laughs> years. I don't do numbers, guys. I'm an artiste, okay? <laughs> I will always I like, be counting on my fingers. It was 20 years ago. Because the BBC miniseries is almost 20 years ago. Like, we're four years shy, but you're good. Um... It, but he, to be fair to Piper, I don't have to spell out loud on this, and I also I can't say anybody's names, so oh we all God. have different strengths. Dude, the only I'm I'm very much someone I don't like it when people in their like twenties and thirties are like I'm so old because I'm like shut up and enjoy your fucking life. Yeah. It really pisses me off. But I am starting to like feel the things, if only because like the movies that I grew up with as a child are now like twenty years old, and I'm like mm-hmm. with Tre- Treasure Planet, one of my favorites, um, just turned twenty, and I'm like, oh wow, yeah, okay. So that's why my brain is like, it could be 20 years. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I lost two years in that weird time flip that happened. When's, exactly. <laughs> Almost three years. By the time you guys are listening to this, three years, literally I was just watching something where it's like the second season of a TV show that has five seasons out. And I was like, but this says it came out in 2019. That's not possible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know, right? It's bizarre. that was last year. <laughs> Um, also, if somebody says that the 90s was 10 years ago, I still believe them. <laughs> right. No, and I also feel like the 80s was like, I'm like, oh, that wasn't that long ago, right? But I was like, oh. <laughs> like, no, it's quite some time, huh? <laughs> <laughs> That's, we should, I've just realized we should figure out when that came out because we're coming up on the 40th anniversary Aww. of that. Cute. 50th anniversary for the 73. You know what, Lillian? Um, one of the things I kind of want to wrap up on that's oh, okay. relevant to this conversation is we've talked about like there's so many things that are beautiful about Jane Eyre as a story and mm-hmm. why it's lasted so long. And one thing that I like that's standing out to me from this conversation is I think typically the first the first version you see is most people's favorite. Obviously, mm-hmm. sometimes you, something comes along and you're like, "Oh, I like this one way better." But I love that people throughout generations can discover this story and mm-hmm. have their favorite and have the one that mm-hmm. they grew up with. And then, if you're an, a nice person, you then com- <laughs> you then you then connect with the community online, and you can be like, "Oh, cool! I I remember when I first saw this, and now you're discovering mm-hmm. it, and that's awesome." So I love that we all can have a version, and I can't wait to see what our grandchildren what Jane Eyre they will grow up with one day (laughs) um well and I think this is that's a really interesting part of a an episode that we have yet to record but we have already released by the time you're hearing this which is our (laughs) one-year anniversary episode is we're talking about why Jane Eyre yeah and I think that that fits really well into that discussion of I part of what I love about Jane Eyre is and what we've been doing with this show, because obviously if we didn't love it, we wouldn't keep doing it. Um, <laughs> is just how many levels of interpretation there are for this and yes. how many choices you can make. Like if you're gonna take so most of the audiobooks for Jane Eyre, just to give a time comparison for some of these runtimes that we talked about. They run between eight and 10 hours. Hmm. So if you're just going to read all the words in the book, it takes eight to 10 hours. So all of the adaptions that we've watched, with the exception of the autobiography of Jane Eyre, (laughs) are significantly shorter than the books. You have to pick and choose what parts you're putting in, and therefore you're picking and choosing what story you're telling. Yeah. 
Um, and I think that this tells a particular story. And I think it's really interesting how much they pull birth out of this. And I think, yes, it, re- it removes the teeth. I think they keep Rochester with more of his anger than some mm-hmm. of the other ones, which I think is important. Yeah. But I also think Bertha is in this less than most adaptions. And I think that it's because people don't want to see a mad woman in the attic in 2011. Well, totally. Well, it's and I I completely agree. Um, Because yes, like you say, you have to make your choices. So obviously, they're going to cut something. Um, And I think honestly, one of my favorite versions just like conceptually is the one with uh, Orson Welles where we don't even Mm -hmm. see her because Mm -hmm. it's like when she becomes if you remove the idea of her as like a a person with feelings Mm -hmm. then you can easily forgive the guy and fall in love with him which is awful to say it's the worst thing but it's like you can make that choice right Mm -hmm. like if we don't see her throughout the story we're not constantly being reminded every time we're like oh I'm falling in love oh shit there's his wife like you don't want to think about her so it's definitely it's a choice I respect it I just wanted to point out that the way that it changes the story Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. well and yeah, I think I think there's a million things with that. One so one of the big things that I did not catch in our first watch that I caught in this, if only because it's pretty unique to this adaptation. Mm-hmm. Um and we had that um cut scene that's I think like 40 seconds or something of Bertha or not Bertha, Blanche and her mother mm-hmm. talking about the fact that her mother thinks that Blanche is failing to trap Rochester. Mm-hmm. There's a few other moments. Blanche's mother knows that Rochester is in love with Jane. Yeah. Mm-hmm. After, when the whole Mason thing happens and she's going back to bed, she gives Jane a dirty look. She keeps giving Jane dirty looks in the hallway. Like, I think we get a, that beat is so interesting to look at Blanche. Mm-hmm. And I, but I think that throughout this, like, the way they play Blanche is really interesting for how little screen time she gets. Yeah. No, I think you're right. Even characters who aren't on screen for a long period of time, I think it's still clear that they've done a lot of thinking about their character. Mm-hmm. Um, so they are they feel well thought out uh, mm-hmm. and not just like throw away. So that is another yeah. great thing that they did. Yeah, I think I I still I I feel like I was more critical of this. I feel very similarly to how you were in our eighty three rewatch, where yeah. you in the eighty three you were like, here are things I didn't like about it, but I still loved it very much, and I would kiss Timothy Dalton all day long. Right. <laughs> um, and that's that's how I feel about this one, where it's like I still like this is this is top two adaptions for me. This cool. and the. Um, and the National Theater, and then I the 2006, I think those three okay. are my top. Okay. And I'm ex- so excited to rewatch the 2006 because I think I'll get, I'm getting so much more out of these rewatches yes. that I'm really excited to see that. But I think this is by far the best movie. Mm-hmm. If you think there's a better movie, let me know. <laughs> um, but I think that there it's in terms of like, it does the things I want, right? Mm-hmm. Like the even the seventies movie cuts out a lot of story, yeah. Um, or the seventy movie cuts out a lot of story. The forty three is a great movie, but there's a lot of not Jane Eyre moments in it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think this is the best baby's first Jane Eyre. Yes, I agree. Um, are we re-ranking we this? We are going to re-rank okay. it. Let okay. me pull our original rankings. So originally, do you remember what you rated this? Well, I did listen to it today. <gasps> I think I said it was a 7 out of 10. 
You said 7.5. Nice. Okay. I rated it a 9 out of 10. Nice. What are you going to do it on your rewrite? I think I enjoy. I think because I enjoyed this more on the second rewatch than I did on the first one, then I will mm-hmm. bump this up to an eight out of ten. Nice. Yeah, and I will I... do an eight out of ten. Last time I did bonnets, I'm just going to keep it the same because okay. damn that bonnet. We have, that is the best. We have been looking for a better bonnet than that bonnet. It does not exist. Her end bonnet does not exist. No, no. Um, which we are going to do a fashion episode coming up. So keep an eye out for that, guys. I am going to rate this. Because you did 9 out of 10? I did 9 out of 10, and I was for sure hedging because I was hoping for something better. (laughs) I gave that a 9 out of 10 as well. Okay, I'm going to give this a 9.5. Oh, your score went up. It's what I gave the National Theater one. Mm -hmm. It's what I think this is. And I think I pointed out, while I was watching this most of the time, I was like, this is a 10 out of 10. This is a perfect Jane Eyre movie, but I don't think it is. Mm-hmm. And I think, I don't know that a better adaption exists, but I think a better adaption is possible. Yes. So, and I think you, your point on removing the teeth of, of the lies specifically, I think there are explicit moments where he lies to her. Yeah. Um, And he's certainly misleading her. For sure. But um, I, I see what you're saying there. And I think that's why it's losing the 0.5. Perfect. But it's great. And, and I'm going to do it um, specifically Mia Janes. Okay, nice. Well done. Hooray, okay. you guys. Well, we've gone ooh. back <laughs> through another version. Um, we are smarter. We are wiser. We are more in tuned with our emotions and our 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 everything else. <laughs> so yeah. um, I hope that every time you rewatch a version, you also get more out of it. Just like every time you tune into our show, you fall in love with us just a little bit more. Um, <laughs> because we love you guys more and more each time. But if you want to tell us how much you love us, um, you can do so by engaging with us online. Uh, you know, you know how to find us at Earbuds. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. Uh, all that good stuff. Uh, send us an email at uh, earbuds at gmail.com, et cetera, et cetera. If you're excited to hear what we're doing next week, we're obviously very far away from this, but I'm pretty <laughs> sure we're going to be watching a documentary about the Brontes. I am so excited. It's something we've talked about doing a lot. I know from some of the research that I've done that um, getting more insight into the Brontes will give us more insight into the story. So we've got a couple of different ways that we're going to do that coming up over the next couple of months. And this is our first sort of foray into actual research into the Brontes. So yeah. I'm stoked about that. Um, and we also probably have a Patreon by the time you're listening to this with <laughs> stuff that we are currently figuring out in the past when you're listening to this in the future. Doesn't that make you want to subscribe? <laughs> <laughs> so give us money for stuff that you know about now. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, and um, other ways to do to support us for free is to just leave a five-star review or any kind of review, whatever you think we've earned. Um, a few nice remarks and to uh, send it to start one of those old-fashioned email chains that was probably still going around in 2011 where you send it to people and you're like, if you don't watch or listen to this podcast, then you're going to be cursed. <laughs> and like do all the, send it to we five people. We don't endorse actually cursing your friends, but we do <laughs> endorse implying 
saying that curses will happen. Yes. As long as your friends would believe, would not believe that the curse is real. We don't want to actually cause anyone actual distress, but we do think it's funny. <laughs> yes. Very funny. And then eventually they'll come back to us and we'll be like, oh my God, Lillian, we finally got the email chain. <laughs> <laughs> I t- maybe, honestly, I don't want to like put anything out there, but I think you know that I have a complex and shitty dating history and it's probably because I didn't forward a lot of those emails oh my gosh (laughs) dude I literally remember being in like the middle school like computer lab and checking my my yahoo and seeing one I'm like oh my gosh I have to send this to my five friends that I have (laughs) so please share airbuds with your five friends and uh, we will send you good luck uh, and yeah. kisses. So we'll send you just a little bit of good luck mm-hmm. and one single kiss. Yes. If you don't do that, because oh. we still love you. Yeah. But if you true. do do it, you get multiple kisses, <gasps> all virtual, um, and <laughs> extra good luck. <laughs> Ooh! If that's not incentive, I don't know what is. So <laughs> we don't know what incentive is. <laughs> until next time, you guys. We love you, obviously. Um, curses to no one. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. Happy Jane Eyre reading and watching. Bye. Bye. <laughs>